This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is January 31st, 2024. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is John Lane. I was at Hofstra Radio between 1991 and 1995. Okay. Well, John, thank you so much for coming back and doing another interview with, with me. Just before we started to record, uh, you mentioned it's been about three and a half years since we did the first of these interviews, and that, that doesn't seem possible at No, all. it doesn't. It's, you blink, and everything between us graduating and working together at the radio station and watching our kids grow up and everything, it's, it's really hard to believe, but it's true. Time really does fly. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully you've held on to a few memories. I'm sure you have, and and some good stories. Um, So we'll get into that in just a second, but just let's remind the audience of the titles or positions you had uh, at the station. I'm a sports director, the lead sports announcer, and spent some time as rock producer my senior year. Okay. Okay. So um, I, I remember very distinctly when you came in and we talked about that at length of, of you joining the station and getting involved with the sports department. But what made you decide to run for sports director? Well, sports director, I first became a co-sports director. And uh-huh. it was at a time when the sports department was in a period of transition. So during that transition, the opportunity opened up to where I was offered a promotion. And I saw it as a challenge. And it's like, all right, we can only go onwards and upwards from here. So that's when I accepted a pro- the um, promotion. And it was, uh, sky was the limit from there. Mm. So who were you co-sports director with? His name was Bill Cusack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind talking about that time period for those who weren't there at the time? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, it was a time when, as a freshman, I joined the sports department, and the director's name was Jay Brayman, who, mm-hmm. who I remember, he did a really good job. Yep. Uh, he was, um, his generation came right before our generation, and after the door was opened to me between freshman and sophomore year to take some announcing classes, I was surprised how quickly I was able to move up the ladder working on the J out of the blue. He just asked me, uh, would you like to go with me to cover a tournament in San Francisco? Wow. And I said, San Francisco. And he goes, yeah, it's the uh, University of San Francisco. Basketball is taking part in a tournament there. And I go, so basically you and I, we go to, to USF, we call the games and it's whatever we want from there. And he goes, yeah. Next thing you know, we're talking about all the uh, touring we were going to do, and it was, I was really surprised. I thought that I had to pay a few more dues, uh, get some more on-the-job training, work my way into uh, Jay's good grace. I was always in his good graces, but I also know that he had a roster, and all I knew that I was working my way up the depth chart, but the opening was there, and it developed, and we... We had a really good time there, and it allowed me to get that on-the-job training by doing football and basketball with him. Then he left, and uh, for whatever reason, we just found ourselves in transition. Uh, I think there was a lot of things we had to figure out in terms of programming, who was to be preempted, why they were being preempted, 
how often they were being preempted and if they felt it was happening too often, we had to figure it, figure that out. So there were definitely a lot of things to untangle. And I'll never forget Sue Zizzer calling me into her office and she said, I know things have been rough lately. Why don't you and I, let's talk. Let's just talk, get things off the table. And I felt really accepted. I mean, Sue mm -hmm. from day one, she was a mentor. She was tough, but she really, really did it for your own good. And it wasn't lip service. She knew exactly what she was doing. And there was a reason behind everything, even if I guess it was tough love, you could say. So we yeah. hashed a few things out. And whatever anxiety I had about taking the position when I still thought I needed more experience, she reassured me that it was my time. And we were ready to roll and enter a new phase. So I thought back then, all right, it's it's time to get started. Let's pull everybody together and not feel like we're on islands among themselves and they make the very best of it. And mm. that was the start, I think. That was the start of the rebuilding of the, the sports department. And it really took us to new heights. Um, if you could remind me, I guess that your your freshman year when you joined and we're working at the station and Jay was the sports director. Do you mean, do you remember anybody else who was doing games? Cause my memory of that time is that the sports department was kind of on the smaller side. There weren't many people calling games yeah. or doing updates. Yeah. You're right about that. Uh, I was one of the few during updates. Jay's uh, he, he used one or two analysts, one with somebody by the name of Henry Johnson mm -hmm. and the other one, his name was Bob Aguano. I think yep. those are the only two. I remember somehow Jay was able to keep things together and he took me under his wing and we did, we worked very well together. We had a good time together on the road. I was always busting chops because mm -hmm. he was, uh, he was very easy to rile up and I said that affectionately. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I mean, I remember a time we were, we were flying home and from, it might've been San Francisco and the in-flight movie had some sort of, uh, I think, a sport goofy cartoon. And that's my type of humor. He was learning how to ski, and I'm just <laughs> I'm just having a really good time with it, trying to get Jay, and Jay's just sitting there all grumpy and tired and grouchy. And I eventually told him, I'm like, Jay, this is, this is hilarious. You're never too old for this boy. You're a stickler. What a grouch. <laughs> so he, he looks at me with a uh, smirk slash smile and says i happen to find warner brother cartoons very amusing so i said well this happens to be amusing as well and that was the end of that and just like hey he was uh he was he was an easy guy to bust chops i know that i was an easy target in terms of uh, getting my chops busted but i learned a long time ago that if you belong to a really solid core group but they're not laughing at you they're laughing with you that's yeah. how I felt about Jay because I eventually got him to laugh. And as I got to know you and the rest of the group at the radio station, I realized that, you know, everything is the education is there for a reason. The, uh, the road is hard, but there are reasons behind it. But we also remembered that we were college kids. And at the end of the day, job was well done. Uh, it's, it's okay to, uh, poke fun at one another. We laugh it off. And then we, uh, we would go to uh, Croxley Ales, I think, in Franklin Square, and that's where we oh, really wow. blew, blew up some steam. Yeah, I did, 
you know, on a side note, that's the first you introduced me to Watney's cream stout that night. Wow. How I, rem how I remember this, I don't know, but it was, <laughs> it was during my senior year and we all decided to go out and it was one of many outings where sports, music, news, every department, uh, we were, we were together, you know, we were as one, we were united and you finally kindly asked me to do you a favor and, you know, you handed me money. The first round was on you and the place was a little loud. So I remember you saying Watney's cream stout. Oh. I don't know how to remember that. I just remember random things. So that was, uh, that's, yeah. well, that's, that's why we're doing this, right. To, to remember it, those things. And those, I remember exactly. going to Croxley's. I remember the event, but, uh, I did not remember that, that detail. So that's cool. That's yeah. nice. Um, yeah, I want to go back a little bit to talking about like the sports department generally. That over the various generations, there seems to be a theme that the sports guys or the sports group, as it as it more likely is now, tends to be a little bit insular. That the people are competing for airtime and to call games and do updates and things like that. But there's also a sense of camaraderie and healthy competition. And I think you were very responsible during your time uh, for bringing that spirit back. Because again, there weren't many people in the sports department. And I feel like you brought a bunch of people in as well as that spirit of, hey, we're going to have fun. We're going to work hard. We're going to do this. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? No, not at all. That was one of my first goals because I, I do remember shortly after taking the position, we held the recruiting fair. And it was an opportunity for students new to campus to inquire and i just remember having an influx of people hmm. and my first goal was to uh, welcome them and give them an opportunity by any means necessary of course they had to go through some requirements to first get into the radio station whether it was your announcing classes or uh or time on um what was that uh multi-track was it called well, you had to do your uh, your engineering training. Yes, the engineering and you had training, to do the right? Tracking and things like that, and learn how to work the board and do the remotes. Yep. Yeah, all of that. I mean, that was uh, that was part of the curriculum. It it had to be done, and it was it was really necessary because you had to start learning how to do it. So, I always had an open door policy to where I encouraged those to have fun, understand that they were calling a game at the same time there were standards that um that we had to put in place it wasn't just me because i was consulting yourself sue zizza uh christy jasberg will shelley mm -hmm. a lot of uh people who i considered mentors um i just you know it's funny just backtracking a little bit when i told you about the promotion i said brian you know um i can't do this alone i know that we have to uh, rebuild it a little bit and you and Christy Jasper did the same. You reassured me saying, hey, you know, we're all on the same team. Let's let's go to work. Let's uh, let's make it understood that these different departments, they're not on separate islands. We're right. we're one community. And it was through our efforts to make everybody feel that, yeah, we are one community. So it was a uh, it, the rebuilding program was a good start. Then eventually Bruce came on and he introduced me to one of many of his catchphrases and that was quality control. Mm. And that's when he felt that standards had to be even, you know, more elevated than they were. So 
once he was fully settled into the position, it it wasn't exactly an open door policy. You had to uh, earn your way, and I know that a few guys who I was who I was mentoring, they were disappointed to hear that. But I told them that's that's the way Bruce wants to do it. I know it's tough, but I but at the same time, I told them uh, keep pounding, don't give up. There are other ways you can get an education. That because that's why you're here. Uh, you can learn in the trenches. I felt bad for those guys uh, because Bruce, for example, wanted he wanted one team doing all the football games, and mm. he chose myself and John DeCepolo because he knew that we uh, we were an established partnership. And he explained that he had to answer to the Pride Club and the Board of Partree, Board of Trustees because more money was and resources were being pumped into the station than ever before. So Bruce thought he had to elevate the standards and when it came to football he wanted that consistency so he tabbed uh, john and i as the lead team that still didn't stop me from uh teaching i mean i we've talked about lon samuelson in the past yeah. and I, I, lonnie i love you i just <laughs> i heard i i heard the podcast about he was all excited about his first game and then my immediate response was you mispronounced somebody's name wrong i even wrote him i go lonnie i i do remember saying that i do regret it that is that is not me you know later in the podcast you're going to ask me what i would tell myself years from now and that's one of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> would always, it, it would always be positive reinforcement but you know uh, Lonnie, if you ever listen to this, you know I love you. You know I think the world of you, and I bring you up because he was the first one who John and I really took under our wing, and yeah. it was great. I mean, sure he had to pay his dues, sure he had to uh, run errands and set up the equipment, and he had to learn learn by watching and listening. But he made it fun. We made it fun. Um, our road trips were pretty epic, and the games that. He got to shadow us. We were pretty exciting too. So it's it was another chapter in my book of memories. And after I graduated, Lon was able to move up and and accomplish great things too. So yeah. I think that's I think more than ever, I was trying to set a baseline, yeah. create a foundation to where I left Hofstra Radio better than it was when I first started. Um. I, I want to try to place this in time a little bit. So when you and John DiCepolo were doing the football games, that would, probably would have been fall of 94, I want to say. Does that sound right? Uh, it uh, Yeah, fall of 94. That was, um, that was my, I was graduating in May in 95 and John right. graduated December in 94. So yeah, that was it. So I want to place that there because you started at the station when we were still in the basement of Memorial Hall. And I, the timing of it, you may have been there when Jeff Krause was there. I'm not sure, but you were certainly there when you know in the old station underneath Memorial Hall, and then you were part of the station once Bruce came on in January of '94, and then continued for some time. So I was wondering if you would mind uh, kind of filling in the blanks. Were there differences in the way the sports department was perceived or uh, promoted or funded? between those different eras do you remember feeling a difference in the way that sports was considered during those time periods or was it i do consistent? i do yeah i mean um i was there when jeff was there yeah uh my freshman year and the perspectives their perspectives are different because here here here's me an incoming freshman just trying to get my foot in the door and i, I was able to tell right away that 
Jeff ran a very tight professional ship. I mean, he was he was regarded as a great mentor. Uh, my experiences with him were really brief because, again, I was I was new to the party. But the uh, brief conversations I had with him, he was uh, he was tough. Yet he was very fair, hmm. and he was right too. So, by the time Bruce came over, that's when I was established as an upperclassman and. That's the only reason why I thought things were a little different because I was just in a different place at the time. Here I was trying to work my way into an environment and I'm like, wow, I have, I have a lot of doors to unlock. I have mm. a, I have a long way to go because uh, you have it, you have an establishment and you have Jeff with pretty high standards running that tight ship. And by the time I was able to work my way in, we were in transition because Jeff had sadly passed away right. and Sue was the acting general manager. I was still learning from her. We were still learning off each other. And by the time that chapter was closed, he was Bruce and the new sheriff was in town. He had his, uh, he had his own visions of quality control. Mm. So, but at that time, not only did I feel established and more comfortable as an upperclassman, uh, Bruce and I seemed to hit it off right away. He was, uh, he was very open to my ideas, and it was his. It was his idea to push me a little. I mean, I thought I was ambitious, but I also thought that I was held back by whatever standards was in place. Uh, he changed the story. He changed the story when he said, "Jay Wright's being introduced as new coach of the Hofstra basketball team. That's great. What are your plans? Oh, you know, we'll tape some interviews, work around the established programming that's already set." puts his head down, smirks slash smiles, and asks me, what do you think about getting this on live? And that was that was next level right there. That's what, as I'll probably explain later, that's what, that's what took us into the stratosphere. Not as a sports department, but as a radio station as a whole. Hmm. So do you, do you feel like, it, I get the sense from yourself and others that there was more of a push to support the sports department once Bruce was getting established there. Do you think that's coming from Bruce himself? Is it coming from the university? Is it coming from the trustees? Is it all of it? What What, what is your sense of the change in perception about the station and the sports department during your time? I think it was all of it and Suziza. She's the one who really got things started with having that sit down with me and reassuring me that we do want to work with you. Uh, you want to be let in, let us in too. So she was a big part of that as well. I mean, not only as a uh, stern educator, but somebody who really cared about the uh, about your future and where you think you were going in the business. Uh, for whatever reason, it seemed that funding and resources were elevated. I don't know who Bruce knew or who he spoke to or what he said, but I will tell you this: that same year, the same year, ninety four, ninety five, when. Um, when John and I were doing football, I heard from a friend that Dean Lynch is big on sports. He was uh -huh. a big fan of our work, and he offered John and I a place on the bus to go to the games with the cheerleaders. So that ended that ended up saving us a lot of money. Mm. Now there were there were times when uh, I think it was Delaware where um, me, John, and Lon. Delaware and Bucknell, we actually went on our own, but these other 
these other places. Uh, I ended up being introduced to Dean Lynch, and to reiterate, he was a big fan of what we were doing, and he goes, yeah, we're all going to the same place, so uh, hop on board. Um, it'll save you a lot of money on the budget, and it was another open door, mm. and it was great to hear that we had yet another ally out we had yet another ally on our side. Mm. Um, this may or may not have been something that you thought about as you're joining or, or getting ready to join, but as sports director, you've got to deal with budgeting issues and, and money for travel and for equipment and things like that. And, and I'm guessing at the time, they're probably getting phone lines, right? Or ISDN lines. Phone what, lines. what was your sense yeah. of like the management part of being sports director? Management part, uh, the budgeting was very simple. Um, I think it was either Sue and or Bruce who gave us a, a limit on what to spend each day. So, of course, John and I interpreted it as having a cheap breakfast, cheap lunch, and an expensive dinner. So, <laughs> you know, we didn't go we didn't go over budget. And uh, we, we submitted our receipts. Sue okayed it. We brought it down to accounting. And that was the end of that. Uh, the other part of it about getting phone lines established, that's when I would have to inform the visiting sports director that we were coming to town. He would say, I appreciate the heads up. Here's your place in the press box. Here's what you have to do to set up. You'll have a working phone line. If you run into any issues, don't hesitate to reach out. So it was, mm -hmm. uh, it was pretty simple. Um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's it's interesting to to, to hear what the technical and, and logistical aspects of oh, being sports director yeah. are. So <laughs> that's a sign yeah, of mean, exasperation there. I mean, and that's why, I mean, on one hand, technology today could drive me nuts where you can't connect to Zoom and you don't know how to start it and so on and so forth. But, you know, Back then, we had to deal with analog. We had to deal with um, plugging everything in and doing everything over a phone line. Uh, it reminds me of a time when John and I were preparing for a football game at the uh, University of Rhode Island, and we used this archaic piece of equipment called the Gettner. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. It was, it was not working. Nothing was working, and time was moving very rapidly before we had to go on the air. We eventually had no other choice and everybody back at home base knew this you know because uh you know but my thing back then was get the game on the air first and answer questions later mm. we we literally did the whole game speaking into two separate telephones wow just having that handset on you and it wasn't a rotary it was one of those things where you would push the buttons yeah it's just for whatever reasons uh the equipment was not working, so uh, we had to improvise. Yeah. And it was actually it was it was more on the job training. I mean, when things uh, when things stop working, you have to uh, you have. No, I mean, we're on Rhode Island. We're on our own. We had to figure it out. And I don't know what the end result was with the phone bill, but all I could think of was get the game on the air. Yeah. I'll answer any. I'll answer anything you want when I'm back, but. There were expectations that the game was going on live. We had an audience waiting for it, and that's what we had to do by any means necessary. Mm. Um, we, we, we talked a lot about your experience with the sports department, but I, I don't want to give the impression that you were a one-trick pony or only had one thing that you did. You were involved in a lot, and you mentioned being rock producer. Do you mind sure. talking about what? How, how did you get into that position? What brought that about? I've always been a fan of music. Uh, 
to this day, I'm into uh, music history. I got my uh, I got my list of favorite bands, and I've I've read my share of books. And I mean, to this day, I'm always I'm always sharing stories about Led Zeppelin and Queen, mm. um, based on whatever documentaries I've seen or whatever books I read. Uh, yeah, that was it. I did not want to leave. I did not want to graduate with that perception that I was a one-trick pony. Yeah. Um, I wanted to show that I was versatile, and I just wanted to try it. I'm like, okay, if I don't at least... Now, I have to admit, as a rock producer, there were uh, there were a few bumps in the road, but that's life. That's career. You had to, uh, you had to learn from your mistakes, but at that time... Uh, I wanted to expand my experience and and do different things. And by the time that diploma was in my hand, I wanted to know that I tried as many new things as I could and make the most of the experience. What what year were you rock producer? Was that your junior year? Senior. Senior, Senior. year. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I'm just trying to, to place it in time because right. there was a time you were you were engineering for the dead zone that's right yeah bill kaplan scott bang i that was a blast yeah they were uh they were very cool to not only get me involved but to uh allow me to jump on the air with them from time to time um they gave me a segment where i would run by where i would run down the music news of the day or Uh okay and and then you know but for the most part i would uh sit back and listen to live dead and um do a service to a show that was immensely popular. It was now, great. I mean, now, yeah, it was. Again, talking about the technical aspects of things, those guys would set up in the multi-track studio, right, and play. Uh, I think generally DAT tapes. Usually, I, I think yeah, maybe some yeah. sometimes cassettes, but they would run the board there and then patch into the master control studio, and then you ran the on-air signal. Is that right? Correct. I was the engineer. And I I know at some point the schedule expanded and those those feature shows, whether it was 10 at 10 or uh, Whiplash or The Dead Zone, they went to two hours. Were you doing the two-hour segment when it was, I, I believe, I was oh, yeah. like 9 to 11? Yeah, I believe I was. Yep. Now, now, between just you and me and no one else has to know, did did you like the Grateful Dead or were you just? Yes, I did. Fun? <laughs> I I was not a deadhead. Um, Bill knew it. He would even mention on on the air, but he was. Uh, um, besides besides him being a wizard, he was uh, he was great to work with, and he was open to new ideas. And like I mentioned, I wasn't a deadhead, but I did enjoy sitting back and listening to uh, to classic rock. A lot of it on the chill side, and a lot of it that went long so i had an, so those guys had chances to prep what they wanted to talk about and when they gave me the heads up that they were going to bring me on the air with them i had time to think about what i wanted to say it was it's an old cliche but it was another feather in the cap yeah. uh, knowing that i wanted to do as many different things as possible and i'll always be grateful to uh, bill and scott bang for giving me that opportunity hmm. So the executive board wants some assurance that during the dead zone, everyone was completely 1,000% sober and above board and everybody was <laughs> behaving in ways that the Federal Communications Commission would, would sanction, yes? Yes. Everybody was, on their best, everybody was on their best behavior. Absolutely. Yes, 
I'm sure. I'm sure. So, so you did that for, uh, how long did you do that? Was it just a year or was it longer? Probably a year. Okay. Probably. And, th- yeah. and then you were a rock producer after that? Yeah. Yeah. That was my, um, that was my senior year. Mm. Just, uh, at, and at the same time, um, Bruce kept me on as the lead sports announcer. John DeCepolo became sports director until he graduated mm. in December, but he, uh, he wanted that continuity, so he. Um, by the time it was basketball season, that's when a lot more doors were open. But for, mm. for football, it was a combination of his philosophy and I think the expectations of the board of trustees was to have that one announced team for continuity's sake. And there were times when John did play-by-play and I did color. It didn't matter. Bruce goes, whatever you guys want to set it up, you do it. But he wanted the same two guys on football, and that was it. And then during mm. the week, I would... Uh, I would learn the rock producer position trial by error. Uh, I was kept honest when it was necessary, but all of it was an education and I'm glad I was able to give it a try. Yeah. Um, during that time period, uh, there was, there were a lot of commercial radio stations that were playing a lot of the music that we were playing previously. And you can call it grunge music or college yes. rock or whatever it is. All that stuff became mainstream. The, the Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Soundgarden, all that kind of stuff became mainstream on commercial rock radio and not just K-Rock and BAB, but even PLJ and Z100. And so around that time, there was a policy instituted about no singles, that's was right. That, was that during your 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 regime? Because it wasn't just the rock show. It wasn't just the Oasis. It was Airwave and yep, a it was other the, programs. Yep. What do you remember about that? During the whole time I was there, um, I'll never forget uh, Dave Koenig, who was a very good friend of mine and yet another ally. He was, I think he was uh, lead announcer or chief announcer, whatever mm-hmm. the title was at the time. Um also an ally, loved doing sports. I'm, I'll never forget the time he and I called the baseball game together. Oh, nice. And it was great. It, it was great. I mean, I enjoyed working with um, working with new people. Uh, Dave came up with the slogan for the Oasis, the names you love, the songs you never hear. Oh, wow. And, yeah, that was, um, yeah, it was, it was in the rule book. We had to abide by it. And I remember during a meeting, uh, Sue was sitting in on it. And I just mentioned, all right, what if we were to play a song that's a single, but it's been taken out of rotation? And and she goes, you know what? If it's if it's not being played in this area, it's being played somewhere. Hmm. Even if you haven't heard it on local radio in a while, it's still being played throughout. So let's just uh, stay true to our policy of what became twenty twenty five years later, deep tracks. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think we were just very conscious of not replicating the things that were yep. on commercial radio. And and I have a very specific memory, and I don't know if you remember this, but I was doing the Oasis. I was trying to place it in time. I couldn't figure out where it was, but uh, I was doing an Oasis shift, and I had some sort of theme going on. I wish I remember what I played before and after because it made sense, but I played Crosstown Traffic yep. by Jimi yep, Hendrix. Okay. But I, yep. it was off of a uh, like a a rarities CD that had come in. And I, I can't remember the name of that, but I remember you called and you're like, you're not supposed to play singles. And I was like, come on, man. I did that. <laughs> I did. You see, dude, yeah. you, you just got right back at me with that random memory um, <laughs> where you didn't remember Watney's cream stout. I don't remember making that phone call to yeah. you. And 
lambasting you about being crossed down traffic. Ugh, that's new with Ted younger me. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a gentle but polite reminder, <laughs> but firm. Hey, we're not supposed to play singles. And I, I think my my wise ass response was, "Well, it was never a top forty hit." But I knew what you meant, and you knew what you meant, and and yeah. I think it made sense technically. But but we were, we, you know, we were in the middle of a of a big radio revolution at the time. So so you were front front row on rebuilding the sports department. Working at the Rock and Roll Oasis and producing that and the Dead Zone at a time when we had quite a quite a following for all of those shows. Um, I'm wondering while you're doing all this and, and thinking about back all about all that, I should say, as you're thinking back about that time, is there a story that you always tell about your time at Hofstra Radio? I probably told you this the first time, but the uh, Jay Wright press conference. Yeah. On how uh, I'll be, I'm, I'm happy to retell it for anybody yeah, new yeah, please do. to the podcast. Uh, it was my junior year, and it all started with Bruce looking down, looking back up with me. And we were just, we were still at Memorial Hall at the time in the basement, and a bunch of us were, I don't remember who else was there. I knew, I remember Christy being there, and I'll get to that in a second, but it was just, uh, we're sitting on desks, we're sitting on chairs, just uh, making small talk. And out of small talk eventually comes great ideas. So um, Bruce casually goes to me and he goes, yeah, what do you, uh, have you thought of any ideas about covering the presser? You know, Jay Wright coming from UNLV, coming with over a lot of cachet, Butch Van Brennan retired and whatnot. So up until then, I remember that uh, everybody was very territorial with their programming. It's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Classics from Hofstra had to be on from X, X AM to XPM. Then there was Classic Jazz and all the other programming that we had. And I remember, especially on weekends, it was uh, it was tough having to place a phone call to Pat Thompson and Tom Jackson saying that Irish country was being preempted because of the football game. Yeah. Um, so it was at that time I was, I was trying to give sports a greater audience at the same time. I was respectful to the other programmings. I mean, I wasn't, I was there to push across ideas. I was there to negotiate, not, not saying, Hey, you know what? Uh, this is a basketball game too bad. This needs the air. No, I mean, I, I knew where I was coming from and rather than being confrontational, well, I was always open and negotiable to figuring things out. So here I was going to Bruce and admittedly, admittedly taking the tentative route because he's the, he's the new sheriff in town and I'm trying to stay on his good side and keeping that good first impression going. I told him that, yeah, we'll, we'll go down to David S. Mack Hall, tape some interviews, put a few package, a few things together work in the multi-track room, da-da-da. And so that's when he he gave me that smirk slash smile and mm-hmm. asked me, what do you think about putting this on live? So here I am giving all those excuses I just mentioned. So he goes, all right, wait a minute. What time is the press conference? I told him. He And as we, he calls Christy over and goes, Christy, can we uh, preempt this programming to get it on? She was program director. Uh, it didn't matter what Classics and Hofstra thought. Christy, Christy was authorized to make the executive decision to preempt that piece of programming. Had everybody on the same page, and all of a sudden, we were 
we had a plan to go on live and Bruce has a big smile on his face and starts laughing. And then he pounds the desk telling me, you've got to start thinking live. And on one hand, it was a lesson learned, but on the other hand, I was like, doors wide open. How can we make the most of this? How can we turn this in not just a general press conference, but an event mm. while getting everybody involved? Um, I don't remember if John was a part of it or not, uh, but I do remember getting everybody involved. There were other guys from the sports department. Um, Lon. Lon was definitely involved. I'm like, Lon, this is your opportunity to go on the air and just be yourself, give the analysis and so mm. on. Who was the man to make everything work with the Marty? And technically, mm -hmm. it was Bill Kaplan. That's yeah. why I called him the wizard. Because you tell him what to do, he'll get it done, he'll figure it out. Uh, Dave, Dave Mock, God rest his soul. Yeah. Um, he was the host because it was a sports slash news event, and Dave was the guy who would able to, you know, he, he was able to carry that mantle and carry the show better than anybody. He was enlisted. Uh, you had him, you had Bill, you had Lon as the protege, uh, even Jerry Beach, an old friend of mine from the Chronicle who was there oh, covering yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, he was, I mean, it was a red letter day because we were covering major news. We did all the interviews we wanted to do. And it wasn't just the sports department. It was sports, news, uh, Bill's deal, anybody else who had a hand in it. It was the, great, the greatest example of, of teamwork. And it was yeah. something that... Not only we talked about the impact of hiring Jay Wright and his cachet to Hofstra, what it meant for the basketball program, but I remember toward the end of it, uh, Bill Kaplan joined us on the air because we, you know, Bruce gave us all the time we needed, so we ended up having a brief roundtable hosted and organized by Dave Mock, hmm. and Bill came on the air and he admitted, uh, like me and my limited knowledge of Grateful Dead, uh, Bill with his limited knowledge of sports. He was involved. He had something to say, and he made it work. It fit in seamlessly. So, hmm. yeah, that was uh, that was the day we uh, climbed aboard the rocket and went, and, and we were headed straight for the top. Hmm. There, there's a number of people who worked not only at, at WRHU but in the sports department and at HTV prior to our time. Who said, "Oh, I wish we could have done stuff like that," or when there were presidential conferences, or or you know, filming plays, or or being doing these live events, and there it just wasn't possible. Whether it was technically, or the university didn't want to us to do it or spend the money, but there was a real shift there, and I'm I'm really glad that you you uh, shared that because I think on after that time there was much more flexibility and and uh, cooperation between the university and the radio station and that what, what was then the communications department so yeah, um, yeah that's that's really neat to to hear um thinking about back about your stories from the station is there something that you've you've forgotten about or rarely get a chance to tell that you wouldn't mind sharing yeah two things actually um i was able to work election night mm. as a senior now even before that transition period we discussed election night was always a big deal when Dave Mock was running the show as a community volunteer, it was a major deal. He was the best. And, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, um, great worker, great mentor, and 
more than anything else, he was a real good friend. Amen. Amen. Really good friend. Just a guy who I'm going to miss forever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting back to election night, uh, that was Dave's deal. And the door was open to where, okay, let me get this off my bucket list. I go, Dave, um, count me in. What can I do? Um, my first thought was that he was going to put uh, John DeCepolo and I together, kind of putting the uh, sports guys into a different environment. He goes, you know what? You and John have camaraderie. I get it, but I do want to switch it up a little bit. I go, I'll work with anybody. Who do you want to pair me with? He paired me with Don Dressler. Uh-huh. And they, he sent this at the Nassau County Board of Elections. And all we did was just uh, set the scene and read off the latest results. So, yeah, that was... That was something which I don't talk about too often, but it was a lot of fun and it was completely different. I enjoyed working with Dawn. Were since you, day were you one. calling reports in over the phone? Were you doing a remote or, or uh, a Marty? What were you doing technically? Might have been over the phone. Yeah. I just remember uh, Dawn and I sitting in the uh, in the center of, it, of everything. We had our own little space, and then uh, they would coordinate the coverage from the studio. He would go to Republican headquarters and. Democrat headquarters and eventually the board of elections. And, uh, we all, we all had the same objective, mm. uh, talk about the vibe and most importantly, the election results. I didn't know anything about politics. Um, but with Dave, with Dave's guidance and a crash course, he just told me, this is all you have to do. Stick to the basic facts and, and do your thing. Amazing. That's very cool. Yeah. The other thing was, uh, I remember, I remember putting together a show on Rick Derringer, Mr. Rock and Roll Hoochie Coop. Uh-huh. He was playing a local show in Oceanside, and another guy I brought on board for sports, uh, Tiny, if you remember. Sure, Rob McCoola. Rob Tiny, Rob Rukula, Um I'm friends with him to this day. He lives in Indiana, so you know it's years since we've seen each other, but we do keep an occasional touch. Uh, he was also a classic rock and uh, hair metal glam rock, not <laughs> just like me. And I, it was an opportunity to, well, it was funny. Uh, the band opening for Derringer that night actually called us and said, hey, you know, would you want to come down and uh, do something on Rick Derringer? She just show. So that's when I came up with the idea that uh, Tiny and I would host a show live and we would segue to clips of our interview with rick backstage after a show so another another cool experience and another learning experience at the same time wow i you know this is this is one of those those questions that i usually do later on but when you started at the station when you first showed up and we got you in that summer announcing class could you imagine could you have imagined any of this happening no not at all Uh. i mean i was uh it all started when I was asked to go to San Francisco. Yeah. And little did I know. <laughs> and then the following year was Santa Barbara in December just to call a basketball tournament. Uh, it was, yeah, I admit we were, uh, we were young, impressionable college kids having a good time. But we were, uh, we were trained to believe that, all right, when it's, when it's time to get down to business, we have a job to do. We represent ourselves the radio station and the university, we have to, uh, we have to make the best presentation we can. And we took a lot of pride in doing that too. 
and it's a it's a credit to you that you were always open minded and and said yes to things. Um, yeah. You've mentioned some of these trips and some of these events. Is there a song? Is there a game? Is there a season that, in your mind, defines your time at Hofstra Radio? I. Th- it has to be my last, my last football game and my last softball game. Mm. Senior year, um, we football still had a chance for a playoffs. The hopes were damaged when they lost to Townsend State at Hofstra Stadium. I was play by play for that game, and when Quebec caught a touchdown pass that gave Hofstra the lead, it was called back on some uh, holding penalty on the offense, which. Uh, John and I know on certain terms disagreed with. <laughs> they ended up losing that game, but it's like, okay, now we get to go to our arch rival Delaware and a win would give us an opportunity to maybe sneak into the one double A playoffs. Uh, Lon came with us on that trip. We had a barrel of laughs and a great time, even though I was uh, putting him through the ringer. Yep. He knew it was for his own good. We had to climb a very steep hill of steps. Who was carrying the equipment? Lonnie was, of course. Yep. <laughs> he all, had to carry all 85 it. pounds of it. All 85 pounds of it. I'm, I'm like, Lonnie, you know, come on, man. You lift weights. You could do this. We've, we've been in the rec center together. You could do this. So he did. He did it with a smile. Uh, the game was a classic. Um, Wayne Corbett caught five touchdown passes, which at the time tied Jerry Rice's Division I AA record for most of the game. And it was during that game where, uh, I mean, Corbett was having a game for the ages, and we, we sensed that he was going to get a chance somewhere to make the NFL. And talked about him, a couple of other players, and their chances since it was one of those seasons for Hofstra, Hofstra football. And John and I eventually mentioned, you know what, don't be surprised if uh, the New York Jets who practice on, who have their training camp on campus, they're in their backyard, they need help at wide receiver. Don't be surprised if they say, you know what, we have nothing to lose by taking a look at this unknown who is who has already caught three or four touchdown passes and had an incredible season as a senior. Hmm. Lo and behold, the Jets gave him a call and he uh he made the team and put together the career he did. He became yeah. a cult favorite. Yep, absolutely. I'm on the, yeah, I'm on the Jets. So uh that game it was forty one forty one. And again, going back to these random memories I have, some things uh, you don't forget because uh, we were that focused and calling the action. It was that type of game that really had you on the edge of your seat. The kicker, his name was David Edinger, lined up for the game-winning field goal. He missed it. And that was, uh, that was the final football game I did. The final basketball game I did was at Drexel. Uh, our first um, – and this is when we traveled – with the team my colleague at the time is his name is roy pincus sure he uh, he took over the uh, lead analyst role after uh john graduated and his his knowledge of basketball was exceptional so he was he was a great fit so we um we find out for the knack playoffs uh, back then it was the north atlantic conference our first trip was maine i'm like all right great it's maine it's going to be cold and freezing and whatnot but uh but so be it. We flew to Portland and had the bus to Orono. Halfway through the trip, Jay Wright decides to have a practice at some random gym in the middle of nowhere and there's snow all over the place. And it was a practice. He got it in and it was interesting to watch, but we were a part of it. And 
the team actually defeated Maine with, on their floor, and we didn't expect that. So we're like, whoa, we're not. We're going to be on the road a little bit longer. And just like that, we had to scramble to make plans to stay in Philadelphia, where Drexel University is located. So it was fly back to either LaGuardia or JFK, go right in a bus, go to Philly. Wow. So we go there. We all have dinner. Uh, Jay was gracious enough to invite Roy and I to dine with the team. And we're on our way back to the hotel, and we're passing the uh, Philadelphia Museum of Art. So all of us college kids are having fun. We're uh, moxing the Rocky theme. Yep. So then Jay orders the bus driver to pull over. And he goes, you guys want to act like clowns? You want to make fun? You know what? All of you off the bus right now. Even Jim Sheehan was kicked off the bus, and he had all of us run up the steps, just like Rocky. Wow. He goes, oh, uh, you want to make fun? Now it's my turn. All of you. Every single one of you run up those steps. But there was a method to his madness in hopes of inspiring the team to defeat the best team in the NAC at the time, whose best player ended up playing in the NBA. We called the game. Hofstra loses by 38 points. <laughs> you know, it was... Uh, yeah, they really did a number on them, but uh, again, to an experience like that to end up the basketball portion of my broadcasting career, that was cool. And softball became my beat, and I enjoyed it. Uh, the team was good. They were nationally ranked. The uh, coach and I got along really well. The final game I did, uh, Hofstra won on a walk-off. Wow. And Ty yeah, Tiny was my, um, he was my color guy, and we invited the young lady on to... Uh, talk about hitting the game winning home run and just like that it was over once the uh high once i was down from a high i was like oh man i there was really no telling if i was ever going to be on the air ever again yeah so that was uh it was bittersweet those are some 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 great moments and some great stories and and, and what a career and what a time you had there is there is there any one thing in your mind that stands out as your biggest accomplishment or proudest moment? Just helping rebuild the sports department and um, not going out of the loan. Hmm. Bottom line, you know, the, uh, there was that Jay Wright press conference and uh, all the things that I was able to accomplish, uh, learning from mistakes, which uh, it made me feel like crap at the time, yeah. but it was, it was for the greater good. You know, I mean, there was a, uh, there was a time even uh, you got mad at me. I was playing, I was playing an interview with the uh, Hofstra basketball coach, and the audio quality wasn't the best. Oh. It passed my test. It did not pass yours. You storm into the uh, studio and you asked me very gruffly, "What is this?" And all I could do was just dump it. But hey, hey, you know, I mean, you're the station manager. You uh, you made the call and. All I could think of at the time was, all right, lesson learned. Uh, no, I mean, the next day it was forgotten about. You move on. You yeah. move on. You beat yourself up at the time for making a mistake. But as you uh, think back, you know, you embrace those mistakes because you learn it. And believe me, I, I did not make the same mistake twice. Hmm. So so did my yelling at you or, or any other incident ever make you want to kind of step back from the station or do something else? Or were you pretty committed? I was pretty committed um, that time in Rhode Island when nothing was working. Yeah. I remember uh, turning to John and I said, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it was it was the heat of the moment, but yeah. you know, <laughs> it was 
it was tough. I was frustrated. John was frustrated, but we uh, we did some damage control and found a way. Neither of us quit. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's something to be proud of. Uh, to be sure, sticking with it. So frustrations aside, uh, obviously you've made mention of you know the sports guys giving each other grief, and you guys had a lot of laughs with. Uh, the dead zone and uh, are there stories that make you laugh to this day? Are there particular things that, that always make you chuckle? Well, there was one during the uh, classic Samhofstra. I was engineering and tiny was training. He was, uh, that's how everybody got started by doing a classic Samhofstra. And uh, <laughs> besides some of the unusual tracks we would find, I mean, I think we played some uh, random Metallica track and classical music form uh <laughs> there was one song which was really long and really boring and that would put you to sleep and then tiny got on the air and said well i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did <laughs> I, I i fell to the floor <laughs> laughing i had to because if tiny would have seen me laughing he would have bursted out laughing and that that uh that wouldn't have been good somebody would have said something to us i just had to uh hide myself <laughs> and somehow he, uh, you know, it's just, it's just little things like that. You yeah. Know, you're, you're, you're allowed to be you. I mean, yeah, there's no question about it. We had to take our job seriously because WRHU was and still is. It's a real life working radio station and yeah. there are standards and practices and we have an audience. Um, even though you're in college, uh, I'm not saying you can't have any fun and enjoy yourself, but there's a level of professionalism that goes with it. So I had to uh, very briefly hide under the uh, board so I could get the laugh out of me. Somehow Tiny kept, kept it together. And I think I very quickly um, went to a promo, not a commercial, a promo. Right. And that's when we just, we just looked at each other and laughed. But that's yeah, funny. and it was that. I mean, um, there was a basketball game and John and I were the studio host and the engineer. We, we were either one or the other. We decided, I mean, John decided, hey, let's give some new blood an opportunity. We didn't get to uh, call any games during football season. Let's let's give him a chance. Let's throw him a bone. So we switched roles. Where I think I was studio and John was working the board, and it was late at night, and uh, Bruce came walking in. And so our first reaction was, uh-oh. Uh-huh. But you know what? He uh, he decided. Look, he, he decided this. He didn't feel like going home right away. So we were. He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm just here to hang out with you guys. I'm not judging you. And we were uh, we were talking like we were thin. We were at the local bar. Wow. Obviously, no beers were consumed, but that's how it was. Three guys just talking, hanging out, telling jokes while we were uh, off the air and and making it fun, having a few laughs. And I'm thinking, this is the general manager at a radio station. You know, he's, he's our boss. I mean, if, uh, if you do wrong, he's going to let you know about it. But at the same, but it was also him as a, um, as a regular guy. Um, he was one of us and that's one of the many things that, that I'm proud of. And I appreciate about Bruce, God rest his soul, mm. you know, and that's why he'll, um, that's, he's, he's another person like Dave Mark who I'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you miss most about your time at Hofstra Radio? That's simple. The people, the camaraderie that we had. I mean, sure, shorter road trips. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. I, 
I'm happy to say I went to San Francisco, Santa Barbara, and Denver among my uh, biggest trips. But again, it did it did take me a while to fully fit in. I had to pay my dues. I had to take my medicine just like everybody else. But uh, once I did, and once we were able to establish that feeling of community where sports, music, programming, polka, Irish, we were all together, that's when we um, formed some bonds. And mm. you and I frequently went to uh, Rockaway to see Will Shelley's band play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there were times you did it before the sports guys were involved. Next thing you know, I was invited. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is great. Let's, let's, let's go out and have a good time. There were, uh, there were holiday parties at Sue Ziz's house. Yeah. And it was all of us. You know, it was, just, uh, it was just a really good feeling. It was a great group of people. And we all had a positive influence on one another. Mm. Mm. Um, hypothetical situation. You get a call from... The station, John Mullen or Kathleen Shortis, and they say we need someone yeah. to come in and fill in for a couple of hours. One, are you doing it? Two, if you are doing it, what kind of show do you want to do? Probably a rock show mm. where I could play some more deep tracks. Um, I, you know, I would, I would go through checks and balances at my organization uh, first, which is what I had to do here. But uh, yeah, I would, I would do it. You know, I would. Uh, I would have to somehow remember how to do it correctly. Right. And I think I think the best way to accomplish that is is simply being me, being myself, and telling stories like I'm doing right now. Wow! So so you do a rock show? You wouldn't do a you wouldn't call a game? Oh, I call a game. Yeah, I mean, um, I when you mentioned a fill-in show, I thought it was maybe somebody going into the studio or uh, whatnot. But I, yeah, I would uh, I would call a game in a heartbeat. I would um, somehow remember my announcing style and add some experience yeah. to it as well. And of course I have a lot of fun. I mean, I haven't been on the air since college, but I've, I've listened to, and I've, en I've enjoyed my, my fair share of play by play announcers in all sports. So I would, uh, I would take some lessons learned from them and turn it into my own style. Okay. Along those lines of, of things learned as a, as a wizened old man now that, that, that older. you are, that we are. <laughs> Brian, older. We're yeah. never old. <laughs> uh, no, no, sometimes. Sometimes it older. feels like, um, If you could time travel back and talk to 18-year-old John, uh, you kind of teased this before, but what advice would you give to your younger Just son? relax. Relax. Yeah. Just relax. Don't take it or yourself too seriously it's okay to make mistakes and learn from them and have a good sense of humor um, knowing that if you if you do your part and you work hard and you learn and you especially listen and you're willing to pay those dues uh, a sign of respect is the share of banter somebody's going to uh, make a joke on make a joke at your expense or so on and so forth um, that's when you know you're in. So have that sense of humor because I'm somebody who likes to bust chops too, but it just, it just adds to the camaraderie. And when you feel good, you're going to perform good and do good work. Mm -hmm. So obviously, as, as we alluded to, it's been, it's been a minute since we were at Hofstra radio together. What were the things that you brought from the radio station into your adult life and your professional life? Uh, storytelling. You know, just uh, 
knowing that before you, if an assignment is put in front of you, you have to prepare for it. Um, do your homework, do your background checks, uh, be ready to improvise. Uh, there is a big difference between doing live radio where you have to work on the fly and uh, print journalism where you could, <coughs> where for the most part, not all the time, be able to collect your thoughts and write your story. At the same time, um, my experience covering the Yankees, my, uh, my, my story is pretty much set to go. And then Mariano Rivera, Mariano Rivera blows a rare save in the ninth inning. So all of a sudden, it's control-alt-delete. You have to start all over. Mm-hmm. Um, covering a hockey game, your running story is set, good to go. And then the game is tied in the final seconds. And you're frantically preparing for overtime where you have to create scenarios. Team wins in overtime, team wins in a shootout. And then you have to do it for the other teams. So just those, uh, the ability to improvise and think fast, it it comes in handy. And more than anything, uh, preparation and just telling stories, hmm. telling stories to uh, either be a smart aleck and try to be try to be funny or somehow give a hidden meaning because um, <clears throat> the new generation who I met. At Bruce's wake, I found myself telling a lot of stories. I reiterated to the new generation who I was. I said that I never shut up, so please forgive me. But I, uh, I was able to reach one person, which was uh, it was really gratifying. It was really fulfilling that mm-hmm. my experiences, even though I was going on and on and on and on, um, it it resonated with one or two people, and that's and those people are. They're Hofstra graduates, and they're excelling today, and it's nice to see. Hmm. Well, well, John, I've I've loved these stories. I, I've loved catching up on old times and 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 remembering things and being reminded of things that I had completely forgotten about. But <laughs> well, uh, you too. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you me calling you up and politely admonishing you. I'm like, oh god, that's. Yeah, um, I've been seething for thirty years about it, John. I've been upset the whole time. Yeah, I know. Now you get well. It's payback time. You got it. No, this has been this has been fun, and you were right. You were correct. That was the policy, and I, I, I was, know. I was trying to, you know, that's the thing. You think, oh, I can get away with it. Nobody's listening. And there's always somebody listening. There's always someone out there with an ear, and uh, that's why we have the high standards and the professionalism that we did. But John, yeah, this was we, this was amazing. I, I'm so I'm so happy to have this conversation. Thank you. That's no, my pleasure. Thank you.